0: Okay, I think we're up there. We're in the clouds. Perfect.
1: <laughs>
0: we're in the clouds. Okay, so nightly co-sponsors. Shemayta with the Anonymous. Anonymous in honor of Shlomo of Elisa Bat Sivya. and in thanks to Gedalia for the inspiration. Yashikolach, we want Mashiach now. Okay. Aren't you this classroom? You did. Didn't we last week? Yes, you did. Ooh. Nightly sponsors. So, let's do the sponsorship. Elaine, Elaine Kadesh. Phyllis Lehman. Phyllis Lehman. In, in, in honor of our sisters, your site And her name is Liba Bas... No, Liba Rivka Bas Rochel. What's the father's name? Aaron. Bas Aaron. Anonymous, none of the Rifu Shleim of Anat Bat and for Michael Benmella's birthday, oh, Hashem should give him strength to help and inspire his fellow Jews. Eliana and Yoni Robin, Leilu Nishmat of Aaron Dove Ben Miriam Rochel's of Racha, and the Rifu Shleim of Menachem Mendel Ben Bat and David Bat and I'm going to stick in there another sponsorship. I'd like to sponsor this class in honor of my father's birthday. Fourteenth. You want me you want me to say that online and have my father kill me? <laughs> okay. Okay. So how to earn God's grace. How to earn what? God's grace. What does that mean? Oh, how does that mean? How are you, Karen? You know what? Uh, I'm from another world. Fanny says hello. Okay. Who says hello? Fanny. Fanny, Fanny and Lenny. Oh, Fanny and Lenny. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Okay. The title of this class How to Earn God's Grace is Seemingly an Impossible Paradox. We mean, I mean, nope. Grace or the... No. What do you mean, Grace? You'll yes, we'll soon see. Savlanot The, the, the goyim say That's grace all the What do mean? <laughs> grace How to see Okay The title of this class of How to earn God's grace is seemingly an impossible paradox Why so? Well let's o- look up the definition of grace Are you listening now? Yeah. <laughs> this is from the dictionary Grace, a noun The second definition Is the free and unmerited favor of God The free and unmerited favor of God. That That means (laughs) lo magi Yes, and nevertheless, God's gonna give it to you. Makes no difference anyway. Just because you know me, mention my (laughs) name. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) you see. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you see. The whole point of grace is that it is free and unmerited, which is another way of saying unearned. In other words, if you earned it, it is in grace. Right? But a reward of payment for what you earned. God promised us, yeah. If in my statutes you will work, walk, right? And you will heed my commandments and you will do them. Then God goes on to say, the rain and all the good stuff that'll happen. That means that it's not grace. That is earned reward. If you do this, I'll do that. In other words, God created something for us which is called cause and effect. Right? God told us you're in the driver's seat. You do the cause, I'll do the effect. So that is not grace. The relationship does not entail grace within it. Grace is specifically a free unmerited and unearned favor of God. So if the verse starts with an if you will do this Grace we're not talking about. We're talking about reward, cause and effect. However the verse tells us that you desire the work of your hands. That's what Job says. Now while he's talking to God our sages extrapolate from this something else. They extrapolate the Gemara. and it's uh, actually Mish- Mishnah. A man wants one measurement of his own, rather than nine measurements of his friend. Self-respect. I'd rather eat what I earned in small quantity, than have abundance of someone else's. Okay. When you, invite <laughs> the what, the what? If you are invited to Fabian, you will not eat? No, we're talking about in general. Oh. In general. I'm not talking about if someone invites you to the house. Yeah. Shh. <laughs> <laughs> Our sages tell us that before God created the cause and effect for us, that means by giving us the Torah and the mitzvot, Torah and commandment is where cause and effect exists. Right? These are the commandments. You do this, this is the Torah, you study this, and you get rewarded. But before that happened, when we were in Egypt, it says we ate Nama dichsufa. Nama means bread of shame. When you eat something, hey Ashley, how are you? Welcome back. When you eat that which you didn't earn, that's called bread of shame. When God gave us the Torah, then is when He gave us the not bread of shame but the bread of honor we have earned our stay we have earned our keep why? because God in his infinite kindness created for us cause and effect you do the mitzvahs and that will earn okay my friends every time we live off the grace of others or if we manipulate and cheat others we maybe believe that we feel like a winner oh I made it However, our humanness knows better, and we have lost our reflection of being in God's image and likeness. It is for this reason that God's ultimate grace is that even in receiving God's grace, we are able to earn it. So before we go further, it seems to be a paradox. The paradox is that if it's grace, you didn't earn it, and if you earned it, it's not grace. And nevertheless, I'm sharing with you a teaching of the Rebbe, of blessed memory that because God wants us that everything we receive should be bread of honor and not bread of shame thus in some way we have to partake in its creation the work of your hands therefore God's ultimate grace is that even grace we can partake in earning it No, we're back to the paradox. Make up your mind. If you earn it, it's not grace. If it's grace, you didn't earn it. So the Rebbe of Blessed Memory in a very interesting teaching says as follows. He says that earning, generally speaking, means that every single divinity flow that comes into this earth, which manifests itself in physical goodness and greatness, Everything is brought about by an arousal. We'll talk about that later. You have to arouse it. Now, cause and effect, when I have a cause and effect relationship with God, then it's absolutely not grace. However, there's two parts of earning it. Earning it is that I brought about the very creation of this divinity flow through my actions. Then there's another type of earning which I didn't create anything. However, I removed the obstacle, the blockage from me receiving it. If all I do is remove the blockage and the obstacle from me receiving God's gift, then it's grace. Because I did nothing to earn it, I only got the blockage out of the way. No, is the question, what is the blockage? To god's to god's what could be the blockage so i'm going to call to you a very interesting piece of Gemara. okay the Gemara is in mesech the soita Tractic soita, 5a rav chista said and some say that it was mar ukva that said concerning any person who has arrogance within him the holy one blessed be he said he and i cannot dwell together in the world. As it is stated, he who slanders his neighbor in secret, him I will destroy. He who, who is haughty of eye and proud of heart, him I will not suffer. Now the word suffer is in Hebrew and the verse is ukal. The verse, this is the statement of Rab and some say mar ukva. They go on to expound on this verse. This verse should be understood as follows. Do not read the verse as Oto lo ukal, rather, it is Ito lo ukal. Not Oto him, but Ito with him, meaning with him I cannot bear to dwell. So now we know the one thing that's a blockage of having God with us, dwell with us, i.e., God's grace, is arrogance and haughtiness and ego that's what the Gemara says Okay, by removing our ego we are being able to have self-respect even in receiving God's grace for even though we have not earned God's grace we didn't create this divinity flow we are still within the self-respect of you desire the work of your hands by removing our blockage from receiving God's grace Epis, I took part in this that gives me back my dignity. It's grace. I didn't create this divinity flow. I didn't earn it. But there's also self-respect and dignity because I did have to make a mensch out of myself in order to receive it. Okay? Thus, we have the best of both worlds. By receiving God's infinite grace rather than our finite earned rewards, and nevertheless, we can receive God's grace with self respect because Epis I did. Not in my notes, but just if you remember, Rashi, Moses himself had to put together the Mishkan for the first seven days, eight days of the inauguration. And obviously, you're looking at solid wood beams of 15 feet by three feet by a foot and a half. Wow. And he asked Hashem, How do you want me to do this? And Hashem said, put your finger to it. No, it doesn't make sense. If you're going to perform a, finger, a miracle, why do you need Moshe Rabbeinu's finger? And if you need Moshe Rabbeinu to do something, then why just the finger? This is the point. It needs to be the dignity that you did something. Okay? Okay, in this lecture based on a mimer delivered by the Rebbe in 1985, we are going to learn what the true definition of God's grace is and how we are to practically live within its self-respect. Okay. Now, we know what the issue that we're going to talk about later, the modern day issue. On one hand, you look at people, how come they have God's grace? The Midas touch. And then how can you have the Midas touch but also not through shame not like a born gift that you don't even deserve something you can be proud of okay so now let's go into the introduction this week Shabbat is called what? no that's the parsha. the Shabbat is called Shabbat Nachamu why is it called Shabbat Nachamu? because of the Haftorah Shalom because of the Haftorah what does the Haftorah start with? Nachamu Nachamu Ami. God tells Isaiah, console, console my people, my nation. Now everything has to be very perfect, especially when you dive into the esoteric realm of the teachings. So why the double language? Nachamu Nachamu. Console, console. Yeah, it sounds poetic, but poetic is never a license in, in the perfect Torah okay so that's the question why the double double link okay so some commentaries say that the reason why it's double is because prophetically we're talking about both temples console them for the first temple and console them for the second temple however in Hasidis, we take this just a little bit further because in Hasidis, the console, console is not only a quantity issue, double as in quantity, but rather double in the world of Kabbalah has to do with quality. It's a total different type of consolation. So let's see what it means according to Kabbalah, the double language, Nahamu, Nahamu, Ami. And to answer what Nahamu, Nahamu, console, console, double is, our mystics connected to a holiday that we're going to be celebrating this Friday. This Friday is Tuba of. Many people know about Tuba shvat. This is not Tuba shvat, this is Tuba of. Two, the word two in Hebrew is not really a word even. It's just a number, Tet Vav, which equals 15. And just that you know, why do we do 9 plus 6 and not 10 plus 5? Because 10 plus 5 is God's name, as we're going to talk about in this class a lot. yud is God's name. So, you don't, you don't write Yud vav of, you write Tu, Tesvav, of. Okay? Now, what do our sages say about this? They say that there was no joyous festival like the festival of Tuba of and of Yom Kippur. We're comparing Tuba of to Yom Kippur this Friday. Now, let's give a look at really what the Gemara says. It's in the, it's our sages say it's in the Mishnayas. it's the last Mishnah of the Tractate of Ta'anit. Let me read to you. Rabshu Benamlil says, Never were there more joyous festivals in Israel than the 15th of Av and the Day of Atonement. For on that day the maidens of Jerusalem used to go out dressed in white garments, specifically borrowed ones, even if they had their own, in order not to cause shame to those who had not of their own. And thus they went out and danced in the vineyard, saying, Young men, Look and observe well whom you are about to choose as a spouse. Regard not beauty alone, but rather look to a virtuous family. For, and he, they, they quoted in, in from, the, from King Solomon in the book of Proverbs gracefulness is deceitful, and beauty is a vain thing. But the woman that feared the Lord she is worthy of praise you know that from your asia's chayel that we sing every friday night okay now big holiday big holiday because of how far we went out to make everyone equal with kindness the richest people borrowed so that the poor people don't feel bad borrowing They didn't wear their luxurious mink coats, they wore simple white. So that everyone looked the same. And on that note, they went out to say, now look at us. Don't look at us when we walk down the red carpet, when we come to shul, showing off our latest styles. No, look at us now. We're all equal. Okay? Why is that the greatest holiday? Yes, I know. On a democratic level, <laughs> this is a great holiday. We're all equal. <laughs> okay, we're online now, so I'll behave. Anyway, but um, what is so great about this? No greater holiday, Yom Kippur. So let's talk about this. There's a great kabbalist. He was the 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 most renowned and accepted authority of his teacher's teaching. His teacher was the great Rabbi Isaac Luria, known as the Ariel. It's very interesting, but in Kabbalah, we always talk about Kisveha Adizal, the manuscripts of Rabbi Isaac Luria. Rabbi Isaac Luria never wrote a word in his life. It's only his students, he only taught orally. Of all his teachers, of all his students that took notes, the one that has the greatest authority is Rabbi Chaim Vital. Just to tell you, not part of my notes, but people want to know the rest of the story, especially those of us who came from New York. Who was the one that had that show? And now you know the rest of the story? And now you know the rest of the story. So let me tell you the rest of the story. The rest of the story is that when Rabbi Chaim Vital died, he said he left in his will that all his notes are to be buried with him. They had no choice, they had to do it and then 30 days later they came back and they dug it back up and they said we did what you said but we need it we're taking it back he's the one that wrote one of the books he wrote was the famous pre-Eitz Chaim the fruits of the tree of life in the world of Kabbalah Talmud and that which has arguments and questions and rebuttals is called the tree of knowledge that which has no arguments Kabbalah is not the process of elimination Kabbalah is receiving that's called the tree of life Less shum, there is less Taman. There is, over there, there is no questions. There is no contradictions. It's all straight. So, he writes like this in the Priyets Chaim. In the gateway of Shavuot, Shari Shavuot, he explains what this story of tuba, tuba of is. He says, the reason why Tuba of is the greatest holiday is because two is the 15th, 15th of the Jewish month. The Jewish month works on the lunar cycle, which means that the 15th of the month is a full moon. And thus in Kabbalah, when you talk about the full moon, you're talking about the absolute restoration of the moon, which represents the feminine mystique, which represents the tenth of the emanations called kingship. That is huge kingship connects to the crown the king wears the crown in the depths of the crown it's huge in kabbalah full moon is a huge thing king solomon is known as kaimah Pashla Pashlamusa. the moon was full okay no so says rab Chaim vital but there's a question what are the three biggest biblical holidays the holidays of pilgrimage pesach shavuos and Sukkot. What day of the month is Pesachan? The 15th. What day of the month is on? The 15th. Even Shavuos, it doesn't have a day of a month. It has to be counted exactly 50 days from the 15th of Nisan, Passover. That means your three major biblical holidays all are on, connected or on, the full moon. So why is this custom created by the daughters of Jerusalem which now have the impact of a rabbinical holiday outshine biblical holidays they too have the full moon question answer to understand the answer we need to know the secrets of ascents and descents and the secret is that the ascent follows the descent greater the descent greater will be the following ascent just like the lion crouches before it jumps Thus, what is the greatest descent of the Jewish calendar? We just had it. Tishabov, the day that the holy temples were destroyed. Thus, because over here you have the greatest descent, thus the full moon that follows that is the greatest ascent. Well, oh, don't, don't, uh, don't accept these things so quickly. The Rebbe doesn't back down. <laughs> he says, one second, Passover is the 15th of month which came after the 210 years of suffering in Egypt. And Egypt was no small thing. It was a very, very horrific exile. Babies were cemented into the walls when they couldn't fit. I mean, we don't have to go into all the crazy stuff that happened there. So one second, ascent, descent, 210 years, that's huge. The Rebbe has an unbelievable answer. He says like this, When we were in Egypt, we were not yet proclaimed by God as Mamlechet Kohanim, a kingship of priesthood. So even though it was so bad, the fact that we were not yet God's nation of kings, queens and priests, it isn't so What's the word I want to use? Antithetical, which makes it so painful to who we really are. Thus, even though Passover comes after Mitzrayim, the horrible suffering in Egypt, but then we were not yet a prince. A prince in prison is far more painful and devastating than a non-prince in prison. Thus the of that happened after God at Mount Sinai in the book of Exodus told Moses, go down and tell them Va'atem and you will be unto me mamlechet Kohanim Kadosh. You will be unto me a kingly a kingly priestly nation, a nation holy. Now it's much different when that takes place. Thus compared to the descent is the ascent. Thus, the 15th of, of uh, Av is far greater than any other 15th of Av, including the ones, Nisan and Tishrei, that have biblical holidays. Okay? Okay. So, let's talk about this for a moment. What does this mean? Okay? In the, in the teachings... The double nachamu nachamu console console, which I told you mystically speaking, is not just a quantitative issue of double, two scoops, rather it's a qualitative. That whatever that means mystically is just like the full moon of Tuba of. Now, tuba of is infinitely greater than any other full moon. And the question is why? So I'm going to just share with you quickly and then later we'll go into it. When we talk about the full moon of of, because it went after the greatest descent, thus it's the expression of the greatest ascent on a qualitative level that means that all other moons continuously go through waning and waxing. So even after the full moon, it's beginning immediately to wane. Until it goes back to the crescent, until it goes back to nada. And then it starts over. Mystically speaking, on a qualitative level, the 15th of of is a fullness which is eternal. So even though physically we don't see it, you're going to have the 15th on Friday, and then, God willing, right after that on the 16th, Again, you're going to see the moon with its orbit get smaller. But on a spiritual qualitative level, you should know that the full moon of the 15th of Av specifically and only the 15th of Av is really eternal. Now we understand what the Nachamu Nachamu Ami is. When God tells Isaiah, don't just console them. Console, console my people. What he wants them to do is connect them with the third holy temple, which is eternal. As the verse says, and there's a quote in the verse, that says that the tent that has the, the foundation which will never, never falter. So now we understand here what's going on, that the 15th of Av connected with the Nachamu Nachamu means it's no more subjected to the finite changes that take place, because we're speaking about infinite and eternal. Now we need to go further, okay? Now that we understand this introduction, a big introduction, now let's go to the Kabbalistic concepts we need to explore and we'll do so, you know, we'll have the dominoes set up, all the ducks lined up and then we'll be able to get very practical. Number one, Moses, which represents sun and seeing versus Joshua, which represents the moon and hearing. Number two, the danger of grace. Grace is so beautiful, there's a danger to grace. Number three, va'es chanan is the numerical value of 515. What's that all about? And then last, how to earn God's grace and let the amazement of Hasidus begin. Okay guys, let's dive straight into it. So, in our introduction we spoke about the Haftorah. Right? Nachamum Nachamu. And then we spoke about the 15th of Av, which is the holiday which is going to take place on Friday. Right? And we explained that those two concepts. Right? They both equal the same concept of eternal without any interruption ever again. Infinitely eternal. Now, let's talk about the Parsha. The Parsha you said was? VaEtchanan. What does the word VaEtchanan mean? So the Parsha VaEtchanan. let me read to you in English the first, ver- the first verse i entreated god entreated prayed Va Ethanan. i entreated god at that time saying pray let me cross over and see the good land that is on the other side of the jordan quick let's go over our history moses he did what to the rock the second time he hit it and what did god say i told you to talk to it and you hit it because of that you will not cross over the jordan you will not see the land of israel moses is now praying let me in let me in for what reason to see right? And God actually tells him, stop praying, because if you pray, I'm going to listen to you. And it's not good. You belong here with your people. Your generation is buried in the desert. You belong here with them. By the way, the Rebbe, literally crying, said that that's why his father-in-law was buried here. The other Rebbes may have been difficult to bring to Israel. The previous Rebbe definitely was easy to bring to Israel. And yet he's buried here because he belongs with his generation. And that's why the Rebbe presently is buried at the same site. Could have very easily built something humongous in Israel, but that's not what Moses do. Moses stay with their people, and they will come back with their people when Mashiach comes to Israel. Okay. Now, with that being said, let's talk about what's going on here. The Hebrew word for entreated, i.e., prayed, is very unusual. (laughs) Va'etchanan, not the normal you have in Chomish concerning Vayetar, uh, and he prayed, you have Litpalel, uh, Vaispalel, and whatever it is. Ve'eschanan is very unusual. So let's look at what Rabbi Shlomo Yitzchaki Rashi says. The word Ve'etchanan and its derivatives, the word Hanun and its derivatives in all cases is an expression signifying a free gift. Matnat chinam. So the word Ve'etchanan is matnat chinam. And he goes on to explain, even though the righteous may base a request on the merit of their good deeds, they request only a free gift of the omnipresent of God. So Rashi explains why do we use the word the etchanan? Because there's something specific about this prayer. Moshe Rabbeinu was praying for grace, free gift. Okay? Now, number one, why did Moses pray that he should be the one to bring the Jewish people into Israel? He already asked God, tell me, who's going to take care of these people? And God told him, put your hands on Joshua. And Moses trusted Joshua. And Moses knows that the kingdom of one king cannot infringe upon the kingdom of another king. So why did he ask, nevertheless, let me be the one to take them in? Question number one. Question number two, why do you have to invoke grace? Grace. Why do you have to invoke matnat chinam specifically here? I want you to let me into Israel and I want you to let me in with the power of grace, free gift, why? Okay, two questions. So I'm gonna give you the answer. The answer is because our sages teach us that Moshe Rabbeinu had only one and one reason why he wanted the one to be the one to bring in the Jewish people into the land of Israel and not joshua and it says the reason is because moses knew that if he would be the one to bring us into israel and he would be the one to build the holy temple it would be eternal stepping off my notes for a moment the Gemara says that call my samoyshe nitschim heim everything that moses did was eternal and thus he knew that if he would do it it would be eternal That's the only reason why he wanted to be the one to bring the Jews into Israel and build a temple. After that, Joshua, you take over. Now, why if Moses did it, it would be, and Joshua did it, it wouldn't be? Now, that has to do with another teaching, the Gemara and Baba Basra, and over there he says as follows. The countenance of Moses was like that of the sun. The countenance of Joshua was like that of the moon. The sun and the moon. What's the difference between the sun and the moon? So simply, if you don't study Hasidus and Kabbalah, you just read it. Okay, Joshua was weaker than Moshe Rabbeinu. No, that's not what we're really talking about. It's far deeper than that. What we're being taught is that Moshe Rabbeinu, the sun, the sun is a star, gas, it has its own light. The moon doesn't. What does that mean mystically? Mystically speaking, and I started telling you this already before Everything that happens God has placed mankind in the driver's seat God refers to himself as the shadow I am your shadow Your shadow. The shadow doesn't move the hand, the hand moves the shadow That means that God is reacting, quote unquote, to us Why? Because everything has to have an arousal Arousal creates this divine flow now in arousal there's two types of arousals even though i told you about the shadow i spoke a bit too quickly because in the kabbalah there's two types of arousal there's arousal of from above that happens on its own and there's an arousal from above that happens in reaction to the arousal from below So the verse that I quoted to you before from Leviticus And if in my statutes you will walk And my mitzvahs you will observe And you will do them I will give rain That is the arousal from above That is a reaction to the arousal from below So when we talk about the sun Which gives off its own light We're talking about the arousal from above Of its own We, tonight, have defined that as grace. That which is free and unearned from above by itself is grace. That is the power of the sun versus the moon has no light of its own. The moon is the reflection of the sunlight and the moon has to do something in order to be able to get that. And what is that? It has to position itself properly. Thus the moon represents what? The moon represents the arousal from above which is a reaction to the arousal from below. I want to just get a little bit more Kabbalistic here for one second. The the sun represents the six male emotion emanations which is called the giver. The moon, whose holiday is Rosh Chodesh? The woman or the man's? The woman's. Because the moon is Malchut the 10th emanation, the 7th emotion emanation, which is the feminine mystique of Malchut, which is called the receiver. Thus the sun is the representation of above, while the moon represents the below. And thus you have two types of divinity flow. One comes from that which comes from above, without any arousal from below, just from above, grace, and free gift. And then there's that which comes from the reaction to that which we do below which is the cause and effect okay now now that we got that straight let's talk about this that which is a reaction to that which comes from below the below is finite and transient thus that will not be infinite and it will not be eternal anything that is man-made is not eternal it's as transient as its as its creator as its causer so if the cause is finite and transient the effect will be finite and transient thus only Moshe Rabbeinu which represents the sun which represents a total transparency and oneness with the above if he was to take us in If he was to do this, then it would be eternal. Because now we're receiving that which comes from above, not as an effect to a cause, but on its own. So far so good? Okay. Now, I want to share with you, and why is Moses someone who is considered above? Remember, this is Judaism. We don't have no son of God. Moses was born to a mother and a father. Not in a bond and not just with a mother and whatever else you want to believe over there. Moses was born to a father and a mother and it tells us who the father was, it tells us who the mother was. He's a human. So much so when he went up to heaven to get the Ten Commandments, the Torah, the angel said, what is the Son of Flesh doing amongst us? Right? So here's something important. I want to read to you from the Book of Laws of Maimonides. Okay, I just pulled out the quotes that we need. Moses, our teacher, would prophesy prophecy while standing awake. Moses, our teacher, would prophesy without the medium of an angel. As the verse states, mouth to mouth I speak to him. As a man speaks to his friend. Moses, our teacher, was different whenever he desired. The Holy Spirit would envelop him and prophecy would rest upon him which is exactly the reason why the prophets, the sages say, the Sifri says that all the other prophets prophesize with the word Ko Ko amar Hashem So has Hashem said the word So has Hashem said has a ring of distance, has a ring of the indirect Moeshe Rabbeinu said Zehah davar this is the thing that God said this pointing direct thus you see that Moses as a human being reached the ultimate level of total humility, total transparency, where when he spoke in the name of God, it was God speaking. He was literally like a plain see-through glass to what was being transmitted. Thus Moses is considered the sun, the countenance of the sun. Joshua was a great man. Joshua was a prophet. But Joshua was like the other prophets. So, it's the moon. Okay? Now, I want to share with you something else. When we talk about Moshe Benu saying "ze," this, the word this is, what do you say in your Haggadah? Haggadah says that this refers to when you can see it in front of you. And then you hold up the matzah, remember, you hold up the maror. So what does the word this mean? I can see it, I'm pointing to it, this. Thus, Moshe Benu represents seeing. Komar so has said represents hearing what's the difference between seeing and hearing when you see something it permeates you and it becomes the absoluteness of faith when you hear something i believe you've never lied to me why would i think you're gonna lie to me now but i can't say it's as if i saw it myself it doesn't permeate it doesn't become absolute it's not the faith of certainty it's a faith that's always challenged Moshe Rabbeinu what he wanted to do he wanted to imbue the land and the people with the sea and then it becomes eternal because it's certainty it permeates you because he didn't do what be because Moses wasn't the one to do it thus it was only here thus it was only from a distance Thus it was not eternal, it was breakable Thus the sea Is the outcome, the eternality Of that which is the arousal from above Total transparency, it's only from above Right? That's what Moshe Rabbeinu wanted to do And Hashem said no Hashem's plan was to have a temple, destruction, temple, destruction, and then to have the third temple, may it be now. Okay? Now, let's go back to the verse. Let me show you how picture-perfect this is. Did you look at what the verse says? Let's read it again. And I'm going to make an an emphasis here. Moshe Rabbeinu said, I entreated God at that time, saying, Please let me cross over and See the good land. He didn't say let me enter. He didn't say let me be. Let me see. Let me imbue the land of Israel and the people. With the faith of certainty. Which is eternal. And thus the land of Israel would be eternal. And thus the holy temple would be eternal. You see how everything is so picture perfect. Now we understand what he wanted. Now... Now we understand why Moses wanted, now we understand why he specifically asked v'etchanan. What's v'etchanan Rashi said? Free gift. Another word for free gift is God's grace. Now we understand why he used v'etchanan and not vayetar, v'yetpalel. He didn't pray. He was doing more than just praying. He specifically wanted to invoke God's grace because that's what everything was about. The only reason he wanted to go into Israel is to make it eternal, make the Jewish people and the land eternal, imbue the Jewish people with eternality. They should have this faith of certainty, not the faith which still is open to doubt. He wanted to see; thus, he did. Ve'etchanan, free gift power of grace. Now I want to share with you the second thing, which is the danger of grace. Grace sounds like a great thing, right? God's grace is great. Why is it dangerous? So to understand this, I want to read to you two verses from the book of Job. And I want to just say to you, God's grace is not a joke. If we're saying God's grace is free, unearned, unmerited, we mean it what the individual does has no bearing now that you bear this in mind i want you to hear what job says chapter 35 verses 5 and 6 if you sinned what do you do to him and if your transgressions are many what do you do to him if you are righteous what do you give him or what does he take from your hand famous verses What are you doing for me, says God, when you keep kosher? You think it makes a difference to me? What are you doing for me when you keep Shabbat? You think it makes a difference to me? And what do you think you're hurting me? You think you're hurting me when you steal? You think you're hurting me when you chaperain a lobster? A red lobster? It means nothing to me. You don't affect me. Whoa, 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 whoa. In the relationship of cause and effect... The cause creates the effect. I am your shadow. Of course it makes a difference. It makes a difference on the verse. If you will keep my statutes, then I'll give you rain. If not, ain't gonna be pretty. Of course it makes a difference. Thus we must say that Job is talking about God's grace. Job is talking about the arousal from above that does not react. It just is. That's the only thing Job can be talking about. Because the lower level is all cause and effect. Bread of shame, it, it, it's, it's different. I'm sorry, not bread of shame. The bread of honor is cause and effect. Thus, we must say that he's talking about God's grace. Now, what's so dangerous about that? I'll tell you what's so dangerous about that. It's God's grace that allowed for the likes of Pharaoh the likes of Haman, and the likes of Hitler, to rise to power and do what they did. It's only God's grace. Because if it's cause and effect, if you're saying that these people have to earn their greatness, exactly what did a drunken painter earn in his greatness to be able to devastate the world the way he did? How did he ever rise to such power? Thus, you must say that the likes of Hitler, Haman, and Pharaoh, and all the others like that, they all only live off God's grace. Because I'm telling you again, this isn't a joke. Grace means grace. Grace doesn't know if you're a Hitler, and grace doesn't know if you're a Moses. They're both the same. Haman and Mordechai, both the same. It's grace. Grace means unearned, unmerited. Nothing Mordecai is going to do is going to get him grace more than nothing that Haman did is going to deny him grace. Grace is grace. That's the danger of grace. Now you'll understand one of the most amazing, amazing requests that Moses did after God forgave the Jews. Moses evoked, invoked from God the grace to forgive the Jews for making the golden calf just a beer 30, 90 days after they heard God Himself say, don't make no idols. And together with that, He evoked within the Jewish people the infinite power of doing teshuva. There's no such thing as going to the point of no return. You can always do teshuva. After that experience, excuse me, Moses asked God for something very peculiar. Now, I didn't put this in my notes, but I do want to share it with you for a moment. Moses was not the leader of the Jews. Just like the Rebbe of blessed memory was not the leader of the Jews. That is why when the Rebbe had a great politician in New York go around to all the great rabbis to solicit the votes, and after that, the Rebbe called him back in. I read the article written by the elected official. He says, okay, I got it, it's payday. This man, this elected official had to do with education and money, so he knew payday. He's not stupid, he's a politician, he knows that he solicited the Rebbe's support, and he knows that the Rebbe has an unbelievable amount of educational institutions in New York. He wants a donation, he wants money back. He comes, he shows up. Also a miracle for a politician. (laughs) But what happens? The Rebbe tells him the following. I want you to print all the social benefits that are available in Mandarin. Because in Manhattan, in Chinatown, the Chinese have a nature that they're way too shy to go out and ask for help. And they don't know what's available to them. Therefore, I'm asking you now that you're in position, I want you to print all the stuff in Mandarin. In other words, what I'm trying to say to you is that the Rebbe is not a Jewish leader and the rest is your problem. Hey, you guys got your leaders, right? African-Americans, I hope you have your leaders. And Chinese, I hope you have your leaders. I gotta take care of my kindle here. That's not a Moses and that's not a Rebbe. The same Rebbe, by the way, when there was a black female um, uh, member in the Senate, not the House, and they had to because of, you know, you had to give something to A, female, B, African-American, person of color, so they threw her something which was really like, you know, like, okay, just take it and go. She gets a phone call from the Rebbe secretary that Rebbe wants to meet with you. It was in that, that meeting Where the Rebbe said, I heard what they did for you And I want to give you a piece of advice And that's when the Rebbe came up with this whole thing That later took over in America About the food for the poor So everything, everything is on the Rebbe's head Okay? Unlike us, you know uh, Oh, there was an accident Were Jews killed? Oh, okay That's not the Rebbe That's not Moses I want you to bear this in mind When I read to you what Moses asked for Moses says as follows, ready? And now, if I have indeed found favor in your eyes, pray, let me know your ways. For how then will it be known that I have found favor in your eyes, I and your people? Is it not in that you will go with us? Then I and your people will be distinguished from every other nation on the face of the earth. What does that mean Moses asked we should be distinguished? Mind you, for many Jews, this prayer, which was granted, is the worst nightmare. <laughs> All we try to do is fit in and not to be too Jewish, you know, change your last name, your first name, do an operation on your nose. I <laughs> mean, What we do, not to be distinguished. Moish Rabbeinu is to blame. He asked God and succeeded in having us distinguished. The answer is going to play on Kabbalah. I just told you that grace knows neither good nor bad. Hitler can become a world ruler and so can Moses. What Moses was asking of God to be distinguished, he said, God, I know the infinite power of God's grace. I'm asking you to distinguish that your power of grace manifests itself only in the good and not in the evil because remember what i'm telling you grace knows neither good nor bad i know these words sound so hard to digest but in the power of god's grace hitler and moses are identical twins the verse actually says and esav is a twin brother to it says brother doesn't say twin esav is a brother to Yaakov. There is a place in the everything is God and God is everything in the infinite circular encompassing, all encompassing, where it makes no difference, as Job said. And Moses knew what could happen with that. Thus, he tells God, I want you to distinguish good from bad. Thus, I want you to distinguish that your grace will only manifest itself and be drawn into the good and not into the bad. Because there's a danger to grace. With that said, I want to go now to the next step. I told you that Ve'etchanan equals what? Rashi tells us that it means free gift. God's grace. There's another interpretation why the Torah used the word etchanan? And the answer is because etchanan numerically equals 515. So our sages tell us that Moses prayed 515 prayers to go into the land of Israel. Nope. Why 515? Right? So here, we're going to get into a little bit of Kabbalah here. To go into or to see? To see, yes. Yes, correct. Thank you. Why 515 prayers? I'm going to tell you that 515 really needs to be separated. It's 500 and it's 15. And now let's figure this out. 15 is the numerical value of the two first letters of God's name. Yud and He. In the 10 emanations, Yud is the intellect of wisdom. He, the first He, is the intellect of understanding. So that's what the 15 stands for. The intellects. 500, so we need to ask two questions. Why five and why in the category of hundreds? So the reason for five, I'm going to have to briefly share with you that this is connected to the hey chasadim of the supernal crown. There's something out there in the books of Kabbalah which is called the five kindnesses of the supernal crown. The question is why five kindnesses? So again, very brief. How many emotions are there in the ten emanations? There's three intellects and seven emotions. Now, of the seven emotions, the latter two are not primary emotions. The latter two actually are the process of transmission. The sixth foundation is known as the organ of the circumcision, the male, the giver, and the kingship. The seventh emotion is the feminine mystique, the reproductive organs of the woman, the receiver. Thus, we talk about number six and number seven are not primary emotions, they're actually transmission. They're subservient of the primary five. Now, each of the emotions is made up of each of the emotions. Thus, in all five emotions you have kindness. For example, you have kindness of kindness, kindness of strictness, kindness of compassion you have strictness of kindness, strictness of strictness, strictness of compassion, and it goes on and on and on. That means, what does that mean for us? Within each one of the five primary emotions, you have kindness. Thus you have the five kindnesses. Simple as that. Why are we in the number of hundreds? Because we're talking about the supernal crown. So I'm just gonna give you the lowdown. Supernal crown works in hundreds, intellects works in tens, emotions it works in ones. I'm just giving you facts right now, I'm not giving you explanations, cause the show must go on. So if we say 500, we're talking about the five kindnesses of the supernal crown. Now translate that for me, Ashley. Supernal crown means all-encompassing infinite, right? unearned, unmerited. Five kindnesses means goodness. Thus, the 500 is God's grace. It's the kindnesses of the infinite circular, the all-encompassing, to which nothing makes a difference. There's no high, there's no low, there's no good, there's no bad. Now you know he prayed 515, why? Because the 15, which represents the intellects, all 10 emanations, the three intellects and the seven emotions, are all linear and finite. They're all part of the cause and effect. Now we understand why Moses prayed 515 prayers. What did I tell you before? The entire process of Moses was to bring God's grace, i.e. eternalism into The Jewish people being in the land of Israel and the Jewish people having the Holy Temple. Now we understand what is 515? Bring the 500 into the 15. Thus we'll once again have the eternality of the Jews being in the land of Israel and of the Holy Temple standing. 515. As of what I told you just now, does it really make a difference if I say that means free gift or whether it means 515 prayers? It's really the same thing. It's all about bringing, let me see, bring the eternal, the absolute, the infinite, the grace. So what's the difference? To understand the difference, I'm gonna share with you one more thing and then we'll start wrapping it up. There's another interpretation to 515. In this interpretation that I told you, 500 is above, supernal crown. 15 is the two intellects, the Yud and the Hay, below. And the process is to bring the supernal crown, to bring the grace, God's grace, into the 15. Well, let me share with you, there's another interpretation. In the other interpretation, the 15 remains, Yud and He, the intellects, wisdom and understanding. But the 500, is of the seven emotions, which really means it represents represents the worlds. Why? Because the Zohar says in Genesis, when it says that God created the world in six days and the seventh day he rests. So the seven days of the universe, the seven days of creation, really represent the seven supernal days is the words that the Zohar uses, which means the emotion emanations. And that's why Sunday was light, kindness. Monday was separation, strictness. Friday, foundation, man. Shabbat, rest, grace, feminine mystique. So really, this doesn't apply to the five kindnesses in the supernal crown. In this interpretation, the 500 is beneath the intellects. It's actually the seven emotions. No, if it's seven emotions, why is it 500? Remember we said, supernal crown, hundreds. Here is tens, the intellects. And then if we're saying it's down here, it should be ones. It should be seven, not 500. Let me read to you an amazing Talmud in Chagiga. Chagiga, the Gemara, talks about the size of the world. So I want to just read this to you. Please do not ask me to explain this. (laughs) Not because I don't want to. I don't know it. But the distance from the earth to the firmament, the firmament is a journey of 500 years. And the thickness of the firmament is a journey of 500 years. And likewise, the distance between one firmament and the other. So you know there are seven heavens and one earth. The Gemara Chagiga says, you should know that the distance of traveling 500 years between earth and the seventh heaven and then from the 7th to the 6th is 500 years and 500 years and 500 years. Thus we see that the world manifests itself in 500 years. 500, the number 500. And we also know that the world comes from the 7 days of creation is the 7 emotions. Thus it equals 500. Shkoyach. But now let's talk about this. In the first interpretation of 515, the 500 was the grace of God. Moses prayed and brought it down into the intellects in this interpretation he's telling us that's not enough go further and then bring it down from the intellects into the physical that means there's two parts here there's one part of the 515 prayers which still remains spiritual yeah from the circular into the linear it's spiritual not enough The Eschanan and Moses prayed, bring it and make it physical. I don't want the Jews to have a spiritual Israel that's eternal, a spiritual holy temple that's eternal. Make it physical. So it's 500, 15, 15, 500. Now you understand the difference whether you say it's a free gift, then it remains up there. If we talk about, no, 515 prayers, bring it down, bring it down, bring it down, make it physical. Okay, now this leaves me with one last piece, and then we go into closing. How do you earn this? So we understand over here that, Moses prayed for grace, bring it down. And he prayed, right, that the grace should only go to the good. And then he did 515 prayers. It should be from the 500, free gifts, ultimate grace, unmerited, unearned, all into the 15, from the 15 into the 500, make it physical. Right? Now, how do you and I keep that legacy alive? How do we keep the legacy alive of making things very, very physical? We should be an eternal people physically. The land of Israel should be our home physically. The holy temple should be where we pray and go to physically. How do we keep that legacy alive? So I'm going to answer you that I already gave you the secret in the opening of the class. I told you what's the only thing we have to do to remove the blockage to receive God's grace, is humility. I quoted to you from the tractic sota, page 5a. Right? But there's more to it. And let me share with you that what's more to it is, depending on how you're gonna interpret The etchanan, free gift. When we talk about God gave us a free gift, what are we talking about? The gift of God is the Torah. Thus, if you study Torah with humility, not I say, I know, you're wrong, and I walk around like everyone should be picking up the dirt under my feet, because I'm a rabbi who studied Torah. No. If I do it with humility, transparency, then I'm evoking matnat chinam, free gift, because the Torah was a free gift from God. And thus, by studying Torah with humility, I'm opening myself up to receive that free gift. However, that free gift is only spiritually. Torah is all spiritual. Torah is about the spiritual will of God of right and wrong. But if I'm gonna now go to the second pshat, Ve'etchanan equals 515. 515 what? Prayers. If I pray humbly, not only do I draw God's grace into my spiritual being, but also into my physical being. What is the secret of prayer? The secret of prayer is defined in the two words of the most famous prayers. What is that? Yehi ratzon. May it be his will. Why do I pray to God? I pray to God who willed it for him to be sick. May he now have a new will that he should be healthy. That's what the prayer is. Yehi ratzon. If a person's sick, he's sick because God willed it. Nothing happens without God's will. Thus I pray Yehi ratzon. He who willed him to be sick, may he now have a new will that he should be well. So the power of a new will is the power of grace. But prayer, unlike Torah, the primary form of prayer is for physical needs. Thus, if I study Torah with humility, I'm drawing down God's grace into my spiritual realm of being. If I pray with humility, I'm drawing God's grace down into my physical realm of being Now we know how to earn God's grace and to make sure it goes into the goodness. Okay? So much for the class. Now I want to do the closing. Similarly, I gave you the answer. You want to earn God's grace, study Torah with humility, and pray with humility. I want to add on one thing, and I'm going to read it, okay? Like I always read the closing. However, if I may, I want to add on one practical issue. We look and often with jealousy, resentment, and victimhood at other people who seem to just have God's grace flowing through them. (laughs) Not in my notes. I wouldn't put this in my notes, but I'll share it with my friends here. There was a great Yiddish comedian called Jigen. Those who know him, Jigen and Schumacher. He used to do skits in Yiddish in Israel. He used to have a line there's a famous saying in Yiddish a Yiddish saying As vil, shista bezem. if God wants a broomstick can also shoot that's what Jews used to say he'll protect us so Jiggy used to say As vil, bezem. <laughs> by me he didn't want I don't have God's grace but if he wanted he could but he didn't want from me so we look at the light at the car next to us we see a young I don't know what driving over there at Jaguar, I don't know what, and my car, Baruch Hashem, sounds like the Gragger from Purim, and I'm sitting here, i wondering what is going on here? And it's done with a little bit of jealousy, it's done with a little bit of resentment, and it's done with a little bit of victimhood. Why does that person have God's grace, flow through him or her, and I don't? Now, here is something that I am little by slowly, slowly noticing there seems to be one common thread that runs between the people that i know who are blessed with the grace of god likewise there seems to be a common thread that runs among those who do not have god's grace flowing in their lives those who have god's grace seem to all be people who are not angry not stressed not worried and generally are experiencing an interesting humility of gratitude and a faith in God's goodness. While those who are not blessed with God's grace are people who are almost always angry, stressed, anxious, and experiencing an ego of entitlement, victimhood, and a lack of faith in God's goodness. The road to God's grace, beyond the necessity of Torah study and prayers with humility, seems to have a holistic gestalt of humility, ingratitude, and faith for God's goodness. Thank you.